Well, we are uh, continuing on today with a little study about whose church is this anyway, who's the leader of this church. And uh, last week, I think we determined, or we saw from the scriptures, that in fact, it is uh, Jesus who is the head of the church. It was Jesus' idea in the first place. He came, he gave his whole life and teaching and his life on the cross and his powerful resurrection and his ascension into glory. He gave it all so the church could be established and the, the body of Christ could live on this earth. That we would be like an, an alternate people group on the earth. All of us, whatever our color, whatever our uh, language, whatever our country of origin, uh, whatever, that we would be like this, this new kingdom in the world, living in a different way, loving in a different way. I was reading this morning, Jesus saying, a new commandment I give you that you, do you know the next word? Love one another. Well, that's not a new commandment. Why did he say that? <laughs> that was in the Old Testament as well. We're supposed to love one another. But he says, a new commandment I give you that you love one another as I have loved you so you must love one another. That's the newness of this, the, the, this, the modeling of love that Jesus brought to us. So you must love one another. He says, by this all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have this kind of love for one another. So that's a huge challenge for us, isn't it? We're that kind of people out in the world, having received the love of God and the forgiveness of God, and therefore, we go out into the world with this love of God to just give it around sort of with that reckless <laughs> love that we've just been singing about here. The love and truth of Jesus Christ. So anyway, this is God's picture for us as a church body that will be filled up with this. By the way, I really enjoyed the music this morning. Uh, I, I don't mean, yeah, the music and the worship and the fact that you all joined in. You you sounded like you believed it. I see at least one nod. <laughs> yeah, a few more over here as well. Isn't it good? Hey, this, is some, this is a marker of our... I know music is not for everybody. Can I, can I make that aside? There are some people who say, ah, music isn't my thing. But you know what? For us to enter in anyway and to sing our praises to God, it's something about the health of our, our faith. And even if your voice doesn't, you don't think your voice sounds all that hot, just lift it up. Nobody cares. <laughs> we love to join in. So thank you for this. Um, we're taking a fresh look at Jesus, who's the author and finisher of our faith and the leader of the church. And last week we uh, mentioned from Hebrews 12, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And Jesus, of course, saying, in Matthew 16, I will build my church. It's Jesus' church. It's his idea. So um, we started last week with this Jesus, fully God and fully human, from John chapter 1. And I'd like us to read this passage together again. So I think it's going to come up here on the screen. There it is. I'm going to ask you again, Jack in the Box, jump up again if you would, please. And let's read this. This is respect for the word of God, right? We stand this is God communicating to us through his word. So let's read this together. We'll read the whole thing, and then, and then we'll take a look at it again. Okay. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, 
and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him, all things were made. Without Him, nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. Now, just before we read this, that's referring to John the Baptist. Coming, his goal was that all would believe, believe in Jesus. How important is that faith, right? Our belief in the Lord Jesus Christ. So we keep reading. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. So the Word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. John testified about him when he shouted to the crowds, This is the one I was talking about when I said, Someone is coming after me who is far greater than I am, for he existed long before me. From his abundance we have all received one gracious blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses, but God's unfailing love and faithfulness came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the unique one, who is himself God, is near to the Father's heart. He has revealed God to us. Thank you. You may be seated. Last week we talked about the idea that John here, who's writing this for us, is so absolutely convinced that Jesus is fully and finally God. Now, you, you imagine how startling that is. John's lived with this guy for three years, walked with him, talked with him, seen him do miracles and everything. And when it comes to the end of it all, he says, he's God. Now, we'd be pretty, you know, weird if we started claiming this stuff for ourselves or started claiming this stuff for someone else who was just walking among us, right? So we see how startling this is that John makes this very bold claim that Jesus is fully God. And last week we looked at a couple of implications of this. You said, so what? And uh, I mentioned that the first thing is we can really know the truth about God. The absolute truth about God. And I know that even to say that term, absolute truth, is kind of laughed at in our culture. Is this true? It's like everything is relative, everything... All truth is relative truth, so therefore, how can there be any absolutes? But if Jesus is God, and he is, and when he speaks, that's the real truth. It's the absolute truth. And therefore, we can have confidence 
that because Jesus is God, this faith that we speak about is not just one among many. That this is the truth of the living God because it's God coming to reveal this to us. It's not some prophet or some person who's had a vision somewhere or something like that. It's God himself coming to us to communicate the truth, the absolute truth. So this gives us confidence. So, Jesus, when he said, I am the way and the truth and the life, no one comes to the Father except through me. That was not meant as this kind of exclusive slamming of a door. It was meant as a, to keep people out. It was meant as a wide open throwing of the door that actually leads to God. To say, if you're searching for God, this is the way. Come to Jesus. Come through Jesus. It's a wide open invitation. So I don't know if you, how you view God, if you see him up in heaven sort of like this, you know, like waiting for people to do something wrong so he can slam them or something like this. Or if you see God more like this. I love you. This song, I'd never heard that before about, what, chasing us down? What was it? Again, he comes, he's, it's like he's coming for us with love and grace and, 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 oh, beautiful. I loved it. Thank you so much. That is the Jesus that we worship, and that's the kind of people that he wants us to be with respect for all people. So we go out into the world with respect for all people, we treat all people with uh, respect and gentleness and, and love and so on because every person is made in the image of God, whoever they are, whatever color, whatever country of origin, whatever language, whatever sexual orientation, whatever gender, people are made in the image of God. Are you with me? We, and, and so we are called to show the love of God and speak the truth of God into every relationship. So how do we have the authority to say this and do this? Because Jesus is God, <laughs> not just some prophet. So there we are. I think in Canadian thought, the idea of religion is that Christianity is just one among many religions. It's like God's at the top of the mountain. You've heard this analogy before. And there are many roads up the mountain. It doesn't matter which one you take, just go. And Jesus comes to say, I'll tell you what, the roads don't make it up the mountain. They, they're good attempts. They don't make it up the mountain. So God says, I'm going to pave a road down the mountain. This is the way you can come to me. And it's Jesus. So we have this authority because... This is, who, this is who Jesus is, fully, fully God. Now, there were a couple other things that I didn't get to last week, and I want to do them really fast, and I hope they'll come up here. Uh, Jesus is fully God, and I'm waiting for them to come up. There we go. So because Jesus is fully God, we can know, yeah, those things. Uh, keep going. We can know the truth about God. People can be reconciled to God people can be reconciled to one another. I want to stop here and camp for one more time before we hit the last two. And that story last week about the two young women in Rwanda, if you weren't here after the genocide in Rwanda, I had the chance to go there for uh, several times. And at this church were two young women in 
a worship team at the front. One was a Hutu, one was a Tutsi, and the father of the one had killed the father of the other in the genocide. And they stood there Sunday morning worshiping the Lord Jesus together, side by side. This is not natural. This is supernatural, is it? Only Christ can do this. Jesus Christ really is the hope of the world. So people can be reconciled to one another. Because we're reconciled to God, something new happens in us to help us forgive and to reconcile with other people. The last two there, this is the, the conclusion from last week. <laughs> the worship of Jesus is most appropriate. We lift up his name. Some people would say, oh, you're supposed to worship God the Father and you come through Jesus the Son. But Jesus is fully God. So we worship him and we lift up his name as well. And Jesus is worthy of first place in our life and service. Um, we'll talk more about that later. So that's the sort of recap from last week that Jesus is fully God. Now we come to John 1.14, which says, talking about the word, that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. So this truth today that we want to camp on is that Jesus is also fully human. He became flesh. I wonder if you uh, brought your flesh today, <laughs> which we all did, right? Because we're all in a body of flesh. If you just pinch a little piece of flesh for a minute, not too hard. <laughs> Don't be masochistic. But you just see, we all, this is flesh. We're, we're all just, we're flesh. And, uh, and Jesus came in flesh just like this. He enfleshed himself. The amazing God who made the whole thing, the whole universe, became a human being and lived among us. The word became flesh. So John tells us. He was in a human body, just like your body. And Jesus entered the flesh and blood existence with all our limitations, just like we have, because he, was, he got tired, didn't he? He got hungry, didn't he? He um, experienced pain. He experienced relational pain, the relational pain of betrayal, of the people that he invested in most who ran away from him in the time of trouble. A person that he invested in a lot just turned around and totally betrayed him and sold him out. And everybody ran. Jesus was no superhero. The bullets did not bounce off him. You with me? When Christ died on the cross, those nails in his hands severed nerves, just like they would in your own hands and feet. And when the crown of thorns came down on his brow and, and pierced his head, it would feel like it would feel like for you because he was in a body of flesh just like ours. I read from um, an author here. Dorothy Sayers says this, For whatever reason, God chose to make men and women, as we are, limited and suffering and subject to sorrows and death. He had the honesty to take his own medicine. You with me? He has himself gone through the whole human experience from birth to the trivial, trivial irritations of family life 
to the cramping restrictions of hard physical labor, to lack of money, to the worst horrors of pain, humiliation, rejection, defeat, despair, and death. As a man, he was born in poverty and died in disgrace and shame, and he thought it well worthwhile. Totally worthwhile. Why? So he could win us and bring us into his family. What amazing love of God. Jesus is fully human. Yes, he's God, but he belongs to humanity. And by the way, this can help to change our opinion about our bodies. Because in some uh, theologies, there's a notion, notion that the body is bad and the spirit is good, right? But Jesus turns this all around. And what he says is that our bodies can become the temple of, help me, the Holy Spirit can live in us. And that our bodies now can be given over as instruments for righteousness and goodness in the world instead of bodies given over to other stuff. So there's, the, there's this potential, this beautiful potential for every one of us when we have the Holy Spirit in us and we have faith in Jesus Christ that our lives and our bodies can be used for totally beautiful purposes in the world. And that's why this passage you were looking at in September, I think, uh, Romans 12, I urge you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God that you present your, help me, I need a little louder, bodies <laughs> as living sacrifices. So we're going to live for him. Uh, we present our bodies. There's this sanctification of the body that can be happening so that our lives are used for Jesus and his purposes. It's a beautiful picture. So the word became flesh and dwelt among us, uh, the scripture says there. And um, the, literally it says he pitched his tent among us. And uh, this idea of the tent, I mean, this was pretty important in the Old Testament. There was a tabernacle that was used. This was um, where God was worshipped. This is where God was with the people of Israel when they were traveling. So that, that tent was the place where God was with them. And so when it says that Jesus comes and, and pitches his tent among us, it's like, this is where God is. He's with us. Jesus is with us. You know the term, the, the name Emmanuel? Does anybody have the name Emmanuel in, somewhere in their name? I'm looking. Not a soul. Well, uh, what's the meaning of Emmanuel? Huh? God with us. That's it, right? This God has become flesh and he's with us, Emmanuel. So a few years ago, there's this beautiful song that was, it's a lovely melody and so on. What if God were one of us? Remember the song? Was it Alanis Morissette? Was it? I'm not sure that's exact, huh? Not sure that's exactly what she had in mind. But the thing is, God was one of us. <laughs> he really was. Jesus came here in the the, the person of God in the flesh among us. How amazing is that? That text of scripture, uh, John 1.14, goes on to say that um, the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. We saw the wonder of God 
in him, the one who is full of grace and truth. Beautiful combination of the two. Do you know, I've wondered sometimes, um, why, why 33 years? Why did Jesus have to be with us for 33 years? Ever thought about that? I, I thought maybe God could come to Jesus and sort of, you know, God the Father put his arm around him and say, Jesus, I've got a mission for you. It's just going to take a week. You could go down on a Sunday. There's going to be a big party for you. You'll ride in on a donkey, and everybody will cheer, and it'll be a fantastic week. Wonderful day that day anyway. And then the week will go along, and Thursday you'll have a big supper with your disciples, your last supper. It'll be great. And, uh, well, actually Friday you'll be on the cross to pay the, penal- uh, the death penalty for all the sins of the world. Saturday, you'll be in the grave. Sunday, I'll rise you back to life again and bring you back. It'll just take a week. What's with the 33 years? It's fascinating because the answer is in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 that God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Let me go through it again. God made, so this was part of God's plan. The cross was not an accident. It was not a tragedy. I mean, it was a tragedy in many ways, but it was a a plan and a, a powerful victory. But it was God's plan. God made him who knew no sin. So who's this? A very short list, you'd have to say. No volunteers here? (laughs) I would not. So it's Jesus, right? God made him who who knew no sin to be sin. So this is where we understand that Jesus on the cross, the perfect, holy, spotless Lamb of God, saturated in the sins of the world. He takes them all upon himself. I think about the physical pain of it sometimes, but you know what? This, the, the pain of being the only one who had never committed a sin to be absolutely saturated in the sins of the world. What was that like for the holy, sinless, spotless Lamb of God? But he did it for us is what the text says. You're that precious. You are that precious to the God of the universe that he comes to do this for us. So that, now here's the purpose of it all, okay? God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. So that in him, In Jesus, when we're connected to Jesus, when we're in him, not separate from him, but when he's in us and we're in him, connected to Jesus, in him, we might become the righteousness of God. We might become the righteousness of God? This is what he's doing. That's what the 33 years was all about. Jesus had lived this perfect life for 33 years. Not a one of us can say, well, I have (laughs) two. But Jesus did. And his life is credited to us when we believe in him and receive him. Isn't that amazing? 
His righteousness is credited to us, and our sins go over to him. What a trade, would you say? This would be a good time for somebody to say, amen. <laughs> like, this is amazing. Our sins go over to Jesus, and he pays the penalty for them. His righteousness comes over to us, and we're covered in the righteousness of Jesus. How amazing is this? This is good news. This is really good news. This is what a lot of people in our world don't know. They think, you know, it's a list of rules and stuff you have to keep and all this kind of stuff. Rather than being filled up with the forgiveness of Jesus and going out into the world with his truth and his love. So, he's full of grace and truth. It's the idea of imputation, that our sins are imputed to Jesus, his righteousness is imputed to us. Now, we want to ask the question, so what? You sort of got this last week, is that all right? Because we want to talk about the implications after all. So, I want to say again to you, and then you'll say, so what? John, who lived with Jesus for these three years, is adamant about the fact that Jesus is fully God and absolutely fully human. I'm glad you asked. The first implication is this, that Jesus is able to die for our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This God cannot die. You with me? He's forever. He's, but becoming human, he can die. So Jesus does this for us to not only forgive us of our sins, but to cleanse us of our sins and to make us brand new people. So here's a story. There was a, a young woman who was, um, as she was growing up, she was abused by someone that she should have been able to trust. She was sexually abused. And as she grew up, she thought of herself as being unclean, unworthy, unlovable, um, undesirable. And, uh, and she started to behave that way because that's how she felt about herself. Have you ever noticed that the way we feel about ourselves is often how we just, we, that's what we act out? So she grew up, she became a teen. She had a Christian friend at high school who invited her to youth group. This girl came to youth group and heard about Jesus Christ and about the forgiveness, about Jesus being on the cross and forgiving her and making her new. And she trusted Jesus as her savior. And she thought in her mind, she said, I'm, this, is, this is forgiven, I'm new. But she had this truth in her mind, but in her heart, she still felt like she was unworthy and unclean. And she was, do you know what I'm talking about? That sometimes we know things in our heads and we don't feel it in our being. Is anybody with me here this morning? Does this ever, I mean, this is often how it is, isn't it, eh? So here's this dear young woman, and she's been taught that she's to be reading her Bible on a regular basis, so that's what she's doing. And she reads one day in Acts chapter 10, she comes to the story of Peter being up on a rooftop and uh, he falls asleep or has a vision and this thing comes down. You know what I'm talking about? A big sheet and a lot of unclean animals in there. And uh, God says to him, Peter, get up and eat. He says, oh, no, I'll never eat. I don't, I don't eat unclean animals. Kosher, everything kosher. And God says to him, don't you ever call 
unclean what God has made pure. And she looked at that text of scripture and she read it again. It says in the scripture that this happened three times. So she read it again. Don't you ever call unclean what God has made pure. Don't you ever call unclean what God has made pure. And she read this over and over, and she said, I know this has to do with animals in that big sheet, but it has to do with me too. Don't you ever call unclean what God has made pure and clean. So this was a turning point for her. This moved from her head to her heart and her soul to her inner being. And she met a young Christian guy, and they started to date, and they got engaged, and so it's wedding day. And she's standing at the back here. She's all dressed up, and he's up at the front in his tux, and he just looks so great. And she's back there, and she hears this word in her mind. See that guy up there? He's too good for you. You're not worthy. Do you remember what happened to you? You're unclean. Now, where does that voice come from? That comes from the pit of hell. Stinking Satan with his lies to us. So, do you know what she said? She's standing at the back. She said, get behind me, Satan. Don't you ever call unclean what God has made clean and pure. <laughs> she walked the aisle. She married the guy. They're doing very well. They have a couple of kids. Our Jesus is powerful. He is able to die for our sins and make us clean and pure. New in Christ. Well, there are a couple more things. He's able also to understand, because he's fully human, he's able to understand exactly what you're going through and whatever suffering or struggle that you have. For we do not have a high priest who is uh, unsympathetic to our temptations. But we have one who has been tested and tempted in every way as we are, except without, help me, I'm looking for a little more response here, except without sin. Therefore, let us come boldly to the throne of grace so that we may find help in our time of need. He is able to understand whatever you're going through, whatever your struggle, he understands totally and fully because he's, he's fully human and he's been through it all. So, and the last thing is this, that Jesus, the God-man, the God-human, invites us into a new kind of life, which he calls eternal life. And eternal life, when you think of it, probably sounds like you have to die and it's going to be a long time after that or something. But the idea of eternal life is both quantity and quality. We think of quantity, first of all, that once we get it, it's ours forever. And when we die, we don't, we're not gone. We're just moved to another dimension where we experience eternal life forever in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. How amazing is that, eh? But the quality side of it also, that's the quantity. The quality is that Christ comes to live with us right now and we start to experience his kingdom renovation stuff in our lives. The quality of his life 
changing us so that the way we respond to criticism is different than it used to be. So that the way we respond, we're, we're also slower to anger and abounding in love, like God is. He starts to renovate our hearts and give us a compassion for other people, which maybe we didn't have before. This quality of life, Christ in us. And I love those three things that you were talking about in September. Hospitality, generosity, and peacemaking, wasn't it? That came out of that text in Romans 12. This becomes the way we are because it's the way Jesus is working in our lives in this new life. So I end up with this. How does this happen? And the answer is found in John chapter 1 and verse uh, 12. That in that text it says that Jesus came to his own, but his own received him not. There's the possibility of not receiving Jesus, of just rejecting him and keeping out. And a lot of people have done that, right? But there's the other option. It says that, but to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gives the right to become sons and daughters of the living God. How powerful is that? There are three active verbs there. There's the idea of believing. And so we believe that Jesus is truly the Son of God, that he has come from heaven, and that he has died for us on the cross, and that his life, and his death, and his resurrection, and his ascension back into glory, these are all absolutely true. We believe this. The second verb there is to receive him. And if I could, I just I think this might be where sometimes we get stuck. That a person could say, you know what, I believe this stuff. I believe this stuff, but I'm kind of stuck in my Christian life. Where's the vitality? Where's the power? Where's the... And this business of receiving him means that we open up our life to him fully. And we don't just keep him as something in our heads, but we allow him to enter every part of our life and to live his life in us. That we believe in him, we receive him, we confess our sins to him, and we tell him we want to follow him now. We want to turn away from the path we were going before, and we want to turn to him and go with him forever. And we receive him into our life. And then, third verb is become. We believe, we receive, and we become. I want to ask you, have, have you done that. Maybe you say, well, I, I believe a lot of stuff, but where's the power of Christ in me? Have you really received him? Have you trusted him? Have you welcomed him into the center and core of your life and said, you can have all of me. I want to be your woman. I want to be your man. So I'd like to just close this with a prayer and say, if you've never done this, this would be a wonderful day because we're going to move into communion right away and um, if you've not, you know, believed in Jesus and received him, it doesn't really make sense to take this because this is a celebration of what Jesus has done to give us new life. But if this morning you were to tell the Lord that you believe in him and receive him, then you could celebrate by taking of the bread and the cup today and saying, yes, you've done it for me. I want to live for you. So, Lord, we come to you just now. We thank you so much for this truth that you are fully God, but you're also fully human. 
and um, that you've given yourself for us so that we can have your new kind of life, Lord, your eternal life. And I pray this morning, if there's someone here who has never actually invited you into their life to say, I believe in you, I want to receive you, that this would be the day to just pray, God Almighty, uh, I believe in you. Lord Jesus, thank you for giving your life for me on the cross. I confess my failures and my sins to you. I give them over to you. Thank you for paying the penalty for those. Now, give me your new life and your righteousness, I pray. I want to turn away from that old stuff and turn to you forever to receive you as the one who's going to lead me from here on out. So today, Lord, we worship you. And as we take this bread and this cup in a moment, we worship Jesus. We thank you. This Eucharist, this thanksgiving to you for what you've done for us, Lord. We celebrate you with great joy today. Thankfulness in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.